If you're studying for an InfoSec certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the Wanna Practice app. Thousands of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, each aligned with the official exam outline in a fully interactive format. Study by domain or take a simulated full practice exam. All functionality and content is available from any device with a browser or use our new Android app in the Play Store. So if you want to prepare for the CISSP, SSCP, CCSP, CISM, or CISA exam, go to wannapractice.com. Wanna practice. Success and certification is in your hands. Welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fiedler. And this week, we got to play catch up again. We got we to gotta fill in the gaps. Guess what, gents? I know you're going to be stunned and shocked to hear this news, but the U.S. federal government was interfering with the sorts of material that Americans can acquire online. I, I know, I know, this is, this is news to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like what, like uh, flippers? Oh, oh no, no, well, they might go that far. Here's the thing, we've, we've already talked about the Twitter files, the Facebook files. We've seen how all these government agencies have been censoring social media. Last week, a new report has come out and made itself apparent. The White House, for the past few years, has been colluding with Amazon to reduce visibility of certain books. <laughs> Interesting. Now, now you're getting right down close to actually is i mean that you know everything else we you know we're kind of given excuses oh you know private company or you know uh uh it's a platform of voices but your voice shouldn't be on a soapbox above anybody else's you know there's all sorts of caveats we can make telling a private bookseller which books to not publish or make prominent is pretty close to as tyrannical as you can get uh, turns out that during the, the, the COVID scandemic, um, the White House did not like certain titles. Now, I don't know any of the names of these titles, and I can only imagine that many of them were utter crap. Um, uh, supposedly, these were uh, titles that promoted conspiracy theories in the place of science. Um, you know, they, they were probably really garbage content. But they were popular enough to come to the attention of the White House. And the White House contacted Amazon repeatedly. Amazon rebuffed their requests the first few times. And finally, Amazon got, uh, I'm sorry, finally the White House got Amazon to come to the table and give Amazon a list to say, make these quieter. In the notes that have been revealed from the whistleblower who, who pointed all this out, Amazon's leadership was rightly hesitant to even meet with the White House. And one of the questions on the list of the Amazon executives was, do you want us to pull these titles completely? Do you want us to close the author's account or the publisher's account? 
And it turns out that that was not the White House's intent. The White House was um, uh, satisfied with diminishing visibility for those listings, making them harder to find and not promoting them um, in search returns and so forth. I, it's almost to the point where I have fatigue with malicious intent at this point. You know, I mean, it's just like, how much more could we know and how much worse could it get? And because all of the sting has already been taken out of these revelations, does it even matter anymore? Yeah, yeah. It's, we're, we're getting callous to, to these types of stories. And we shouldn't be, you yeah. know? <laughs> Any single no. one on its own should be Watergate level, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. But I mean, so I know that Amazon has its own internal algorithms for promoting uh, books and, and services and goods. So I know that if you like, for instance, search up, uh, say you want a charging cable for your USB device, Amazon will automatically promote and put at the top of the page their own their own version that they make the most money off of. So and, is it and and also people who have paid vendors who have paid Amazon. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can pay for you can pay a placement fee. Same with Google. If you want your Google ad to be at the top of the of the search return, then yeah, you can you can have that done. So my question is: Is this simply a matter of not allowing them to be at the top of the page? Because you're saying that they're not re removing these books or the, these uh, uh, these resources; they're just not promoting them. Is what it sounds like, which is which is not terribly terribly malicious it's not benign but it's not malicious except that it wasn't amazon making this choice it was the u.s federal government right 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 curating the reading list of american citizens <laughs> and, and yeah. again you know i don't want to overstate this but that's horrible that is anti-first amendment on its face even to ask the question you know, and Amazon's put in a terrible position there because they are a private yeah. entity. Um, but on the other hand, they're a highly regulated uh, uh, private entity. And when the government comes asking, you know, when the man has a gun on his belt and asks you for a favor, can you really call it free will to say, I'm going to decline, you know? Well, I mean, realistically, what would the consequences have been had Amazon chosen to decline? Would, I mean, would they have been in, in any sort of trouble? Would they have been getting more tax audits? Would they, you know, have been sanctioned in some way? All of these things came up in Operation Choke Point 1 and 2 with the banking system. And in the letter from the Justice Department to the banks, uh, and this was an anti-porn campaign first initiated by the Obama administration and then... I forget which administration capitalized on that same momentum and did it again. Uh, but they approached the banks and they said, in order to alleviate the Department of Justice's concern that you may be engaged in sexual trafficking or other uh, um, uh, uh, illegal activity, you might wanna take these steps. So the threat was very clear that they are regulated industries and you could expect more bank audits, more, you know, reviews of your activity if you did not comply with the request. The same thing could be brought to any public corporation, publicly traded corporation as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and that makes me think of uh, the recent thing that I think that we discussed uh, privately that uh, small businesses now have to do uh, to prove that basically we have to register with the federal government to say that we are not uh, laundering money. Uh, there's a new program that we have to sign up for. Uh, <laughs> do you remember the name of it? No, and I was just thinking of it whenever you were talking about that because um, I, I wish I could. I, I knew it off the top of my head. It's it a was B O I e filing yeah. FinCEN beneficial yes. ownership information report. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah, FinCEN F I N C E N. New thing, by the way, if you are a small business owner like I am, um, and uh, you haven't yet had your accountant or uh, business attorney talk to you about this, you may want to ask them some questions about whether you need to sign up for it. It's a free thing. It doesn't cost anything, but basically it's a new program to try to keep small businesses from being used as vehicles for laundering money, <laughs> which I've never done before. You've never, <laughs> you've never laundered money or you've never oh. filed? I've never <laughs> laundered money. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I did go ahead and file and register my company, <laughs> but but there's an implicit uh, you know threat there that okay, if you don't sign up for it, then we don't know if you're laundering money or not. So yeah, we're going to be giving you extra scrutiny uh, because of this and and force you to to sign up for this program. And isn't that a a very veiled threat? I mean, that's that's you know yeah tantamount to putting the gun to your head right I yeah, mean, it, yeah 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 and and, yeah. and i love this because in their in their filing instructions pdf um <laughs> they actually say that um we'll let you file electronically via our own api oh that's going to be trustworthy that that's going to be free of any <laughs> errors or problems huh yeah uh, um so yeah, uh, but but yeah, back to your original thing. I mean, I I get it. I get I get the position that Amazon is put in, um, and and I think that that is unfair that the government is uh, is putting that pressure on them. Um, but it's oh, gosh, it's so hard for me to make the argument though because I'm I'm sure that I would not be interested and would never be would never even search for and definitely not buy any of these types of books myself. So it's hard for me to be an advocate for, but that shouldn't be an excuse for not saying that it's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and that's exactly it. it you know, it, it's like the old uh, um, uh, Mencken um, statement. I think it was Mencken who said, you know, being a defender of freedom makes you ally with some awful people yeah. i mean you know you know it, <laughs> you just don't get to pick and choose unfortunately because yeah. yeah. you got to draw that line yeah. and, and and yes amazon was put in a terrible position the real malice here comes from these federal government agencies who even thought that this was a good idea for any yeah. reason at any time you know yeah. I, I, right and i, mean, I I have an, an example from Germany. I can talk about it later as well. Matt, you were in the Oh, no, go ahead. No, please, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. Mine is I'll, a little bit off topic. I, I was just going to make a really quick statement. The, the, yeah. the, the marketplace of ideas will, will self-correct. If these, if these types of yeah. books are truly worthless, they're not going to be bought. <laughs> you know, they're, good, they're, they're, they're going to slowly you know, die off. So if they're worthless to begin with, you don't need government intervention to, to, to say, you know, de-promote these. Even better if it's a bad idea that does have some stickiness to it, you know, if it has some viral elements, it's better to get that out into the public discourse quickly so that you can inoculate against it just like right. you would a fucking coronavirus. But you don't want to keep it buried 
and you know somewhat subtle or covert you want to raise it to the level so that you can go in and counter it you yeah. don't want to try to bury these things i mean this is how you end up with sama's dot and how you end up with you know a a, a shadow resistance that's counter to everything that you want <laughs> or believe in it, right it's just it's on that yeah. topic, I wanted to add something. I I have not looked into it, and but uh, because like it's German polit politics, and we're Austrians, of course, we share the language. But I'm not aware. But as far about their specific parties, but currently, and I guess you've heard this, Europe has this whole concerns about all those right wing um, political parties which are rising at the moment, and Austria is looking to have its furthest right. It's not very right wing, but it's our furthest right. So all the very bad people are in that party as well. Uh, but Germany had a couple of right-wing parties. Um, so I think at least three. Um, and the furthest right, um, which I think had a chance to get into parliament, it, it, only with a slim minor thing, but they would uh, go beyond the threshold. I think it's a 6% threshold or something. They got outlawed. And what I said um, was... What do you do? Like, what what are they doing? I mean, all those voters to get them over that threshold, they're not gone. What what do you think you're creating here? You know, right. I'd rather know how many people are on that. And have like, them registered to vote. Have a list of who they are. I mean, that's so much that's, better, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if I would go as far as having the registered to vote, but no, no, at but least what you I'm see is, if they're growing. Is, if they're a public you, party, then you know who yeah. they are. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see their numbers maybe growing with national. Now they don't know. Now they have no clue. Um, and which I sort of say, like, I would wish that for Austria as well, where I'm like, if that party, which is uh, getting accused of having all those very right wing people in them, if they would split that party off, that part of them, you know, then we would know how many they actually are. And then um, everything gets back into a little bit of perspective. I don't know how you in the US deal with that, having only two parties um, from us in Europe. It's always like how, like I have a, such a nuance. Uh, we have six parties in parliament and I don't even know which one to pick because none fit all of my beliefs. Um, but I have six to choose from. If I would only have two, I don't know. <laughs> and two um, isn't great because what you end up with is the big tent problem which is exactly what you described, that yeah. in order to beef up your numbers against your single opponent, you have to let people into the tent who you really don't want to rub shoulders with. Uh, <laughs> and when I lived in D.C., I, I would go to a few demonstrations on the National Mall, and I'd look around just as a, a sort of a rubbernecking experience, you know, just to, to watch what was going on. And you could see how, like, you know, maybe the, the protest was about abortion rights okay maybe that's what it was for and then you go through and you see these different booths and these different groups with their little you know clots of people and carrying their sign and it was the wackiest shit you could imagine you know and it, and it had nothing to do with abortion it would be something completely off the hook but because it helped bulk up the numbers nobody said hey you're not a part of us you can't take part they wanted them in the march just because now they're a, a bigger gang Right, a bigger tent. Um, yeah, I yes, see. I understand. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the I, San Diego Comic Con problem. San Diego <laughs> Comic Con started out as a convention for comic book geeks, 
And mm. now in 2023, 2024, you've got cosplayers, you've got movie premieres, you've got uh, all this other media that has nothing to do with comic books. And, and it's, it's become a, a pop culture thing, but it, it made it huge and it made it popular because it's no longer just this little niche thing of people that read DC or Marvel. It's now everything that's related to 80s, 90s, kitschy stuff, you know, toys, all that stuff. And, and, and Marvel comics, not oh, movies. That? Marvel, yeah, Marvel comics. comics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not the but, movies. But, but it's but it's it's a good and bad thing. One, it's good mm. because it broadens the appeal and allows more people to enjoy, but it's bad because it has diluted the, the purpose of the original assembly. Right. And, right. and if I you totally want to go, get that. Yeah, if you want to go because you actually love and enjoy comic books, <laughs> guess what? They've been relegated off to a corner of this huge convention <laughs> because everything else has pushed them to the side. Yeah, you're in Exhibit Hall Q, which is on the back lot with no parking, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, anyways, yeah, but, but, but yeah, R R Rafi, the, the two-party system is not great. I'm not sure that the six-party system is any better. Uh, maybe it's a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> We're, we're about to getting a new one. It's called the Beer Party. So who knows? Um, okay. They started off as a joke, but that guy actually ran for president and did fairly well. I think he was in the top three um, because he actually had his, his a medical doctor and a smart guy. Um, and he, again, it's a, it, it started off as a joke, but uh, because uh, his views actually resonated, um, he's now running for, to get to, get into parliament as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, they're, they're projected to re to surpass the 6% threshold as well. So, oh, <laughs> and it's funny, I did hear about the German thing and, and yeah. the, the way I understand it and there, and there's a whole bunch of different stories and they all come translated to us. Um, but, but as best as I can understand, uh, the attraction so far in the mainstream of people who would not normally be considered, crazy right-wingers um, is the stance on immigration, which a lot of Europe now has started to see some negative impact from. And they want to stem the tide or they want to pare it down into a more manageable approach. Um, and what the opposition party has been doing, including those that are incumbent in the current government, is painting them now as Nazis. There's, yes. you know, they, they, what they're saying is, instead of going after the ideas being proposed that are appealing to the mainstream, they're painting them to be awful simply so they can excise them from the process. Again, not a good approach because you're still leaving a, a whole bunch of constituency dissatisfied with the status quo and nowhere to go, no home to find. And and if you're, and I guess you're aware of that, but if you call somebody, if somebody is a Nazi in Germany or Austria, that that's illegal. You know, you can be thrown into jail for that. And um, yeah. so it's an actual, you're, you're accusing them of a crime. Um, that's, that's also a thing. And it's, they're using state media for that, you know, which is and the most, most um, uh, outrageous thing here. Tax yeah, money um, for, for promoting this using tax. And money let's talk about the irony of that just for a second. <laughs> that in order to demonstrate how non-Nazi the government is, the government will throw the opposition party members into prison to not allow them to take part in elections. That did not happen yet, but not they accuse yet, but them. But they of can. Stuff. 
but they can. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there would be people on the streets for that. <laughs> there's already Currently, massive demonstrations. I mean, it's... Yeah, you know, there's so many massive demonstrations at the moment in Europe. Uh, <laughs> I feel like all, all the farmers are on the streets in every country around here. I don't know and, what's going and on. And we don't hear any of that in the U.S. None really? Get, okay. Yeah, no. That does not get like publicized. It, France, 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 Germany, Spain, Austria. Uh, the Netherlands had it last year, um, and they're they're burning shit. They're driving tractors through the streets. I mean, it's a big deal, right? It is. It is. Yeah. It is not just for congestion, but yeah, also yeah. for. Did you hear about the air travel thing? It's, no. it's crazy in Europe at the moment. What happened? <laughs> Airports what happened? shutting down. People walking out. Yeah. Yeah. What? 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 People. Is like I think I I have people uh, who would come here from Brazil um extended family members of friends of ours um and they are stuck in germany now because um the people walked out of the airport and uh the whole airport the employees you mean on strike yes. is that what you're saying yes exactly exactly yeah strike strike wow wow yeah. what and what's their beef i i i understand the farmers but what's what's the thing <laughs> with the airline work I, I guess in europe at the moment everybody and this is i and i read this on reddit as well uh, where people are complaining about their plumber coming over and charging them 300 uh, euros and i'm like of course he is everything is getting more expensive and you you begrudge them even though you just got a pay raise of 10 to almost 20 percent we have a lot of unions around here you got a huge pay raise and now you begrudge them of wanting one too you know and i'm like you're just like you need to be a little bit more like understanding of your, the people around you and so the, um so the airport workers are on strike for cost of living is that is that they the want thing? higher a higher pay yes 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 even higher and i think they already got a pay raise I, I, around like in austria none of the unions got less than 10 percent this year some got 20. all right then <laughs> okay wow yeah. um I, I thought this was going to be a simple little current event thing. Uh, <laughs> Boy, this spiraled. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I, I got to apologize, Rafti. Uh, as much as I like Germany, and I haven't spent much time in Austria, I would love to come visit you. I'm deathly terrified of being stranded in Europe indefinitely. <laughs> uh, I really like being on my own soil. So uh, well, it'll be a while then, before I come out there. All you need to do is find one of these demonstrations and set up a, a, a kiosk and hand out, uh, you know, copies of uh, Exposed and hand out, you know, flyers for. And then I can write it off as a business expense. Right. Yeah. What you're trying to exactly. Yeah. Yeah. These demonstrations need more uh, uh, side hustle going on, like your uh, your abortion <laughs> ones. That's actually not a bad plan. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. Um, okay, now for the rest of the episode, let's get more info secchi. Um, Matt, you had a topic you wanted to refresh us on incident response, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is right up your alley because the, the modern context of talking about this is defer or defer. Yeah, right. Digital <laughs> forensics and incident response. Go ahead. Right, uh, right. Walk us through this stuff, Matt. Not defer, D-E-F-E-R, as in push to the side. Yeah. No, um, um, I was reminded um, just a few days ago of um, best practices and in incident response because I had a uh, one of my bigger clients have an incident. And uh, it was a the, the type of thing where I was literally dropping what I was doing at another client and hopped in my car and ran to 
where the incident was occurring to, to, to mitigate whatever was going on and, and assess it. And I want to preface it by saying uh, we're in tax season here in the United States. And all of our um, CPAs and accounting firms are all getting everybody's taxes ready to file by the deadline, which is April 15th. <laughs> So uh, this is a client of mine that is an accounting firm, uh, has multiple CPAs on staff, multiple locations, um, and they take their security very seriously. They're one of my favorite clients because they, they they do spend money and they do put in effort to make sure that all their employees are properly trained. They get weekly security training. Um, they spend money. They have an actual annual budget on what they spend on you know firewalls and and encryption and security and servers and all of the the, the software that they need. So they take it seriously. Uh, and senior management has buy-in. Senior management is uh, is great with it. So I wanted to preface this story by saying all these things because this is one of the best case scenarios. And I present it as, as a real world real world example of something that um, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it. It, it. it wasn't ransomware. It wasn't an actual security incident. But we didn't know that when this was ongoing. Um, so it started. And you with, don't know. And, yeah. and that's that's the thing is you don't know. It had all the symptoms and all the signs of an active malicious attack on this company's um, uh, infrastructure, and uh, things got things got hairy there for for a bit <laughs> while we were trying to figure it all out. If I can just jump in for a second, this is something I try to teach my students when they're going to sit for a certification exam. ITIL, which is one of the great standards bodies of our industry, defines an incident as an unscheduled event. An event is just anything can be measured within the network environment. It could be somebody logging on, starting up uh, an application, whatever. So an incident by its very nature is not necessarily inimical. It's not necessarily malicious. And that's very hard to reframe our mind from the common parlance, how we discuss these things, because we always think incident, we think attack, you know, and, and, right. and so you're actually, you're going into an incident. It's an unscheduled event. You just don't know the nature of that incident quite yet. Right, 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 yeah. right. And of course, you know, when you go into an incident, usually one of the first things you think of is, is this malicious? And you start looking for evidence of, 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 of that happening because if it is, you want to be, be on it as quickly as possible. Um, so the day started, uh, I guess it was about noon. I was actually at another uh, client of mine. I was in their conference room getting ready for a meeting and got a call from this, from this accounting firm. And it, it started kind of benign. And it started out as, hey, we've got a user whose uh, email account is sending out emails that she's not sending. Oh, okay. Well, crap. Well, that's that, that, that's never good. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the first thought is always, okay, well, her account's been compromised. Uh, you know, change the password. I'm getting ready to go into a meeting. Um, I'll take a look at it when I get out of the meeting. Um, I had a few minutes before the meeting started, jumped onto their Office 365 tenant, verified a few things. Number one, um, the user did have multi-factor turned on, um, so there was a very slim chance that her account had actually been compromised. Number two, looked at all the logins related to the user's account, and they were all from the office. There were not any from Lithuania or Brazil or Iran or, you know, any place out, you know, that, that would be unusual. They were all, yeah, Office 365 uh, keeps uh, tracks a track of all the logins. Um, the call the, is coming from inside the house. <laughs> right. Yeah. So all the logins were from that office's IP address. And so I was like, okay, well, that's that's good. But, oh, crap, that's also bad. What if her computer has been compromised? Next thought. Okay, does, does someone have remote access to her computer? Um, or another so, employee utilizing her yeah. computer and her device for the multi-factor. I mean, this right, could right. be really bad or it could be innocuous. 
Right, right, right. And this got, kind of goes back to the uh, the um, uh, the email issue that we had with uh, the one friend of yours from a few months ago, where yeah, the emails weren't uh, were being sent and didn't know where they were coming from. So so yeah, the, you you start winnowing it down. You start reducing the variables. And um, I hopped on their uh, EDR endpoint dependent detection and response software. Looked up her computer. Had the full EDR suite active, everything was fine, clean as a whistle, not a problem on her computer. Okay, that's good and bad. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> because now it's, it's getting more and more intriguing. <laughs> what the heck is actually happening? So uh, I had to go into my meeting, uh, left it as, as as they went ahead and changed the user's password, uh, didn't hear anything else during the meeting, get out of the meeting, go to a third client, uh, which unfortunately was in a rural area, uh, bad internet, um, not great uh, cell service or anything like that. So I was a little bit uh, on shaky ground and I get another phone call. And then, and this one is not related to email, it's now the server. Matt, the server is not letting people sign in anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> now this has taken a turn because uh, they have a lot of cloud stuff. They, uh, a lot of their software is cloud-based and it's not related to this, but they have one server that, that runs very specific software. I architected all of it. I know it inside and out. What now, okay, is this incident related to the previous incident with the email? If so, wow, now we've got a coordinated attack going on and we've got symptoms of something major happening. Uh, where, from where I was, I was able to pull up my laptop, try to remote into the server, was able to get to a login screen, logged in, and it just sat and spun. And I was like, well, crap, it's, it's super slow. It's not letting me in. Is it being encrypted as I'm trying to log into it right now? You know, what's going on with this thing? Um, can, can, I, can I ask just for sake of continuity? Mm -hmm. Every time you take a step, or whether it's a phone call or you go into the EDR, do you have some documentation process where all these things are being logged that you can reconstitute them later if need be with some accuracy? If um, if I were if I were that smart, <laughs> I would. <laughs> um, being yeah, and, and if I definitely if I work with a team, uh, you know, on any of my bigger clients that I have multiple team members, yeah, we do document all that type of stuff, all the steps. But that because come along. this is small business, you're just doing it ad hoc, and you're yeah, I'm okay. the guy, and so yeah, I, I usually the checklist with, is in your head, right, right. With okay. regards to this type of stuff, I can retrace my own steps, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if there were any other variables in there, other people, other technicians, then yeah, that would definitely be a, be a part of it, and and I do have a ticketing system um, for that's uh, a rudimentary help desk type thing. That 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 type of stuff does happen at, at other clients. This was such a quickly evolving situation. Uh, the, the the pressure was on to figure it out as you know, as quickly as possible, really. You're flying and so, by the seat of your pants at this point. Yeah, yeah. So documentation, unfortunately, is usually the first thing that goes out the window when you're in the in the interest of just time, just getting them back, getting them back to good, and figuring out what is actually going on. Um. So, uh, client calls me a couple of more times. You know, they they give me some more information. I send a restart request to the server. Uh, and I'm waiting to see if it restarts. It never restarts. Okay, well, shoot, this thing is, is either locked up as tight as a drum or or something. somebody's actively managing this and, and blocking what I'm trying to do on the server. Cloud virtual server or physical box, you can go in touch, but it might take you several hours to get there. Good question. 
physical box, thankfully, <laughs> and and uh, co-located in Lexington. So it's at an office in Lexington that, that I have a key to that I can actually get physical access to it. Yeah, if it was virtual, if it was uh, cloud-based, if it was in Azure, if it was in uh, AWS or something like that, yeah, we're talking a different story. Although there are plenty of tools to be able to manage out of band you for can, those as well. You could reinstantiate it and kill the one that's live. Yeah, 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 yeah if I had to. Um, so yeah, I was at this other client in this rural area and basically I had my, he, he was following what I was doing in terms of the laptop. I was kind of telling him I've got an incident going on. Uh, I said, it's, it's quickly evolving. And then probably about 10 or 20 minutes into it, I was, I just had to look at him and shut my laptop. I was like, this is an emergency. I got to go. And he's like, all right, see ya. And so hopped in my car, ran to the facility where the server was and uh, got access to the server and pulled it up and yeah sure enough it was it was stuck trying to reboot uh, it, it had gotten my reboot request but it was not doing anything the disks were spinning at 100 percent uh bad situation all the way around <laughs> what the heck is, is happening here so this again, could be hardware failure at this point too do you have a redundant yeah. server just in case um on that server no we don't have we, we have redundant memory redundant hard disk redundant power supplies but the actual physical box itself no it has no redundancy and and we've got you know plenty of backups and stuff like that which will come into play later um in the interest of just getting them up and going yeah i did uh i did the old hold down the power button for 10 seconds and shut the sucker down <laughs> because nobody was in it at that point anyway there was no data that was going around um uh restarted the server and watched it come up and and my ha having dealt with ransomware incidents and actual ddoses and stuff like that i was fully expecting to see it come up and have a message on the screen something you know to the effect of you know send us you know 100 bitcoins uh, to get your data back or something like that popped up uh all the disks uh because it did have redundant disks all there, there's a process where they have to if you do a hard shutdown they have to resynchronize themselves so that does cause some latency, causes the server to be a little bit slow because all the all the hard drives are are spinning at 100%. But it was able to get into a desktop and was able to look and realize nothing's wrong with this server. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Everything is good. <laughs> no ransomware messages, no missing data, nothing, you know. It was running slow because again of the of the, the hard shutdown sync issue. <laughs> but um did a full thorough check of, of all the systems, uh, all the services, all the data, everything was fine. So all that to say, <laughs> we figured it out, did a full assessment afterwards. Once, you know, that the priority was get the data or get the server back up so that the users can get to back to being productive. Uh, once uh, we had achieved that, started going through stuff and realized uh, it was a backup that had run away that uh, it, it, uh, that particular server does a twice a day backup. It had done the noontime backup and uh, gotten hung on something and basically maxed out all the hard drives to the point that uh, it was unresponsive. That's all it was. Huge sigh of relief on my part. <laughs> now, that still hasn't taken into account any of the stuff with the email, but at least I can say, okay, these two incidents are, even though they're coincidental in time, are completely unrelated to each other, thankfully. That's so bizarre. That's yeah. so weird, you yeah. know, for that kind of symmetry to occur. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because when you see, you know, one incident, okay, that's, you, you've seen one incident. When, when two happen, you know, on the same client, uh, you know, on similar or adjacent systems, now you start connecting the red yarn on the wall. Just because you're a skeptic, just because that's how our nature is. We should yeah. not believe in coincidences, right? right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're right.
Um, so uh, server within, um, I guess probably within about an hour and a half of the initial call about that issue, uh, had it back up and running. Uh, everything was good. Users were happy again and productive and all that kind of stuff. Dug back into then once that 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 got back to good, I was able to have some time and reapproached the original problem, the email problem, and did some digging. Went through uh, the user account, went through the user's laptop, and um, went through all the logs and everything like that, and realized that that user had set up a copy of Microsoft Outlook, uh, or actually, I, I probably had months and months ago, and the user had never opened Outlook after that time. Or had opened it, you know, or had basically stopped using Outlook as their email client and had switched to the web version of Outlook. So you can sign into the web portal, get all your email that way, and they they were handling all their email that way. Apparently, at some point in the morning, the user had reopened Outlook after not using it for months, and there were about five or six emails in the queue that were from April of last year that had never been sent. When the user opened up Outlook those queued emails from uh, nearly a year ago <laughs> sent. <laughs> so another false uh, flag, you know, uh, 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 a true still, negative. Still incident. an incident, yes, but still not an malicious. Yes, yes. Did you, so, like, uh, I have a question in regards to that email thing. Uh, did you consider it um, like a session hijack? I thought of that. Yes, I thought of uh, yeah, okay. hijacking a token for the uh, uh, yeah. for the uh, 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 account for uh, because yeah, there, there, there's all kinds of other ways, and those are exotic and those are generally edge cases. But once you start yeah. ruling out large swaths of okay, it's not the the common things. Yeah, you start looking at okay, is it one of these things? And if so, well, gosh, now what do I do? <laughs> How do I fix that? Yeah. And it's funny because the actual cause is something I wouldn't even call niche. It's so random, it would never appear in your top 10 list of things yeah. that might have happened. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But How's late it? last year, a couple of YouTubers got, like, a yeah, fair uh, amount of YouTubers got happened. Yeah, yeah. And others, a yep. huge swath of them with session hijacks. That's the reason. Yep. It, true, it's exotic, but like because recently there was such a uh, widespread attack on multiple entities with a session hijack um i thought maybe who knows you know <laughs> and yeah. and as far as i understand typically when you look at those logged in from fields and if if you see an ip address i as far as i understand most of those systems only take the first ip address they don't double check after like oh really it's associated to the session key and so it's if the same not token is coming in from two ips then it only logs yes. the first ip interesting yes. i didn't know that. that's good information to know that yeah. is good thank you Rob. maybe maybe some people do change that but the reason why it's i mean you could prevent a session hijack if you would check the ip address i mean mm -hmm. um because then it would have maybe have to do a re a new session you know um yeah. That would suck for people who are changing um, with the laptop IP addresses because they work from home and then in the office. But I don't know. But like, that's but that's not a big deal. I mean, you just reestablish a new session. You know, it's uh, yeah. not that tough. Yeah, yeah. If it's a yeah. if it's a security issue, yeah, yeah. So wow. uh, so Man, I'll bring all this awesome. up. Awesome. <laughs> that is. I mean, I, I I don't bring this up to to highlight the the. Uh, the, the less severity of, of, of this type of incident. I was glad that it was not um, uh, a full-on attack. A nation-state sponsored <laughs> advanced persistent threat. Anonymous hates your accountant. <laughs> but the, the the main thing I wanted to bring up was the vigilance on the part of the the end users and the senior management of this company, and how quickly 
and how seriously they took it. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they appreciated getting back up and going, but they were also appreciative that um, uh, it, it wasn't anything that was that was a big deal. But I wouldn't have known. It. I have alarms and tripwires and, and all sorts of alerts for for things. Neither of these would have and wouldn't be expect couldn't be expected to, to trip any alarms or any uh, any kind of warnings. No, that they would, wouldn't would, escalate to that level. Yeah. But the, the end users saw something. They saw something that was unusual. And they reported it and they escalated it internally to their senior management and then their senior management, you know, escalated it to me to for, for final resolution. And I was just thrilled. And I told them that I was like, this is this is the way it's supposed to work. You know, no consequences to the users for reporting something like that. But we were able to they, they were vigilant and we were able to, to to rule out, OK, it's not a big deal. I can, you know, senior management was was concerned. They were they, they seriously thought that this was a full on attack on their systems. And again, accountants in the middle of tax season. Accounting is already a little bit stressful of a job, <laughs> February, March, and especially going into April. They get really stressed out just on the nature of their jobs, and they didn't need this on top. Uh, and, and you'd kind of almost like them to overreact and underreact, you know, oh, yeah. I because mean, yeah. the earlier you get to it, the better. Two yeah. big questions. Um, why were the original emails stuck in an outbox in that Outlook account? Why weren't they sent in the first place? Apparently, the user had queued up several emails, uh, and again, this was April of last year. Again, close the close of tax season 2023, and if you close Outlook before those emails are sent, Outlook will pop up a little thing and says, you still have emails in your outbox. You still want to close, and apparently, they had said, yeah, go ahead and close it. I don't care. So, they had closed out the Outlook application with emails still in the in the queue to be sent, but once the application was closed, they never could be sent. And why weren't they sent? Was it like a scheduled thing? Like, I want you to send this two days from now or something? I, I don't know. And then it when it that. opens up, it checks the calendar and goes, oh, I should have sent these. Yeah, yeah po po it could have possibly been that. It could have been that uh, they all had attachments and it took some time to send them all. And so they were just uh, queued up and, and it took some, you know, it, it, again, you know, we're used to email sending in milliseconds. But if you're sending 7 meg, 10 meg attachments and you've got five or six of them, it could take you a minute or two minutes to, to send them all. Outstanding. Uh, and then my second question, <clears throat> was the user alerted by the recipients of the emails going, hey, uh, this was dated last year, or this is old content, this is my last year's tax return? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I'm interested to yeah. see where the, the trigger happened. Because yeah. honestly, if, if some emails were sent from my Outlook right now today from a year ago, I wouldn't know. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the thing that triggered it was one of the senior management was was recipient of one of these emails. And they were questioning it. Now, here's the funny part: because it was sent on that day, it didn't it didn't have the original written date on the email. It probably did somewhere in the headers, but the end user who received it didn't look at any of that stuff. And when they forwarded it to me, it stripped all that stuff out anyway. So I'm sure it probably was in there somewhere. Uh, the original sent date. I actually had to go back into the user's mailbox and and locate the original um, uh, email threads, and, and so I could figure out the dates and stuff like that. But yeah, senior management was one of the original recipients. And apparently she called the end user and said, hey, why are you sending this to me? This is, you know, old, old data. And the user then goes, I didn't send those. And then that's what triggered all the uh, the alarm bells. Good, on good. So everybody was kind of alert. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah, uh, the, these users do active fish phishing testing on their uh, employees. So they do, uh, you know, know not to click on uh, random attachments. They know. But again, it was, it was from a trusted user, <laughs> which raises alarm bells. Okay, if I've got a trusted user. 
saying that they didn't send me this email with an attachment because believe me, when they forwarded it to me, I was like, I'm not opening that attachment. Once I tra trace it all down, <laughs> but the funny thing was once I traced it all down, I figured what, out what it was. I was like, oh, this is perfectly safe. And then I opened it and it was a perfectly safe attachment. It was a legitimate attachment. There was a PDF file or something like that. So, but yeah, they, their, their training worked Their uh, their vigilance worked and, uh, and super cool. That really emphasizes the importance, you know, you can put in all the hardware. We say, we say this all the time. You can put in all the hardware, all the software, you can have a security team. If you have end users that don't know to see something unusual and report it, it all goes out the window. Yeah. And even though there was an expense and there was an interruption to productivity, this is still the best possible outcome you could ever want for any kind of incident. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I've uh, rejiggered their backups. <laughs> so they don't, I mean, that server's been running for years and never had this, but it got into a runaway condition. But yeah, that, uh, uh, yeah other than some reconfiguration of some things and some new policies and some new uh, stop gaps in place, um, yeah, nothing out, nothing really bad had to happen. And, and I debriefed the senior management and said, we're, we're all good. Here's exactly what happened. They were cool with it and they were, they were happy. Are you considering creating a redundant server just to have the duplicates, you know? Um. There's in standby that, mode to yeah. fail over to, or the thing you uh, uh, the thing you run into with that is always cost, and it's hard to justify that. I mean, that's that's already a fifteen thousand dollars server, um, plus all the associated licenses for the software and stuff like that. So to put in another fifteen thousand dollars server, relicense all of it, and then all and keep of it maintained and updated, yes, the same as right. the other one. And, yeah, for something that is a once in five year incident uh you know it, it, it's hard to make the case the case can certainly be made but you know that's another you know twenty thousand dollars thirty thousand dollars that they might not really feel like they, they need to spend for an architecture question like that do you at least present the option to the client and say yeah yeah okay yeah 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 the options always presented yeah <laughs> and, if they want to they yeah. can but, but and then they ask you for your opinion and you say honestly if you'd like to accept the risk once every right. seven years, give me a call. It'll be cheaper than buying this thing by right. a factor of three, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the loss of productivity, less than $10,000 easily, probably less than less than three or $4,000 for, for an hour and a half of downtime. Yeah. It's, it, it was fine. They, they, they bounced back from that. So yeah, they would have to have a bunch of, they'd have to have 10 of those instances to be able to justify a, a truly redundant. And, and of course, at that point, you're, you're looking at moving it into the cloud anyway, just getting it off of physical hardware because of the cost. Awesome. So, awesome. So that's, my, so that's my defer story of the week. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. As yeah. we keep going through tax season, I expect more. We could we could do this week by week. This is great. <laughs> I kind of hope not. <laughs> These are stressful on me. <laughs> uh, it's not fun. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Despite so, what the outcome so I've got to ask. I uh, just because I like to poke the bear. They know that their main heavy season is January to April. Do they do their hardware and software upgrades? in may or june or do they just start doing it whenever they feel like and suddenly <laughs> they want a tech refresh in the middle of march <laughs> no they do not do that uh, they're basically under a freeze on all tech uh from january through through april and plus i mean 
they, the, you know, if you think the way, about the way the business operates, they don't make all their money until May or June anyway, because they're getting all of the payments from all their clients around that time. So that's when they're flush with, with cash. So usually uh, June, July, and August are are our big tech refresh months uh, for the for those types of clients. So, yeah. And similarly with like our retail clients uh, that, uh, you know, get, you know, from uh, uh, Black Friday through uh, Christmas, um, we don't, we, we do a freeze on all their tech during that point as well, because, um, uh, yeah, you just don't want to risk something going down whenever they're, that's their prime money making time. So, yeah, all that comes into play. Excellent. Excellent. Wow. All right. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, sure. Happy to do Thank it. You. <laughs> um. All right. Well, we've we've got a few minutes left here. Uh, we could either wrap it up and call it a short episode, or we could do another one of our segments of "I'm so old." What do you, What do you feel like? I'm down for the "I'm so old." All right. Yeah. yeah. If, if Rafi's down to to be stumped again, are you okay with this, Rafi? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. No, no, ChatGPT. Yeah, he's, I right. promise. Keep your hands <laughs> visible, sir. Keep your hands where we can see them. All right. He's so typing for, with his for, toes. <laughs> He's got it built into his glasses now. Yeah. He can do the fast twitch uh, uh, navigation with his pupils. All right. For, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with this segment of our show, uh, Matt and I are very old and Rafti is not. So what we do is we bring up something from the past that we remember and it may or may not have been true. And Rafti has to say, one, first of all, if he's ever heard of it, and two, he's got to think whether or not this is true, whether we're yanking his chain or not. Um, I've got one example this week. Matt, do you want to start with yours? I know you had one, too. Yeah, I've got one. So, um, okay, Rafti, so you're familiar with a modem. You know what a modem is, right? Sure, of course. Okay. You, well, you say sure. I mean, do you actually know? Have, have you ever actually used a modem? Do you know? Do you, you know, it makes yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Analog. Oh, oh, you're talking about a telephone modem? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I used yes. one of those as well. Well, that's an yeah, acoustic yeah. coupling modem. And yes. modem well, is for those for those of our younger listeners. That's modulate, demodulate. All right. <laughs> Turns digital uh, uh, ones and zeros into sounds that were able to be transmitted across a phone line, and vice versa. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because it's not useful if it's only one way, I guess. <laughs> so um, this is a, also a little bit of a puzzler for you. So a woman uh, in the 90s bought a brand new 56K modem. And Whoa, she... <laughs> that was flying, man. That <laughs> yeah, was huge. That was, that was as fast as you could, as you could get across. A and this is an external hardware well, I mean, it, it doesn't matter, but, but yeah, at, at that point, these modems were internal and you would just plug a phone cord straight into them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, there's a card you could put in. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the acoustic couplers, I think they maxed out at, at I think 1200 baud. I think uh, you're right. Uh, but yeah, the 56 K ones, they were actually an expansion card you would put inside the case of your computer plugged in a, a phone cable. So she buys a 56 K modem, hooks it up and, um, it connects to the internet, and she's able to down to, to browse AOL. Let's say internet. <laughs> it connects to the telephone company. Okay. Well, it connects to the ISP, <laughs> which then passes her data along to the internet. And um, she, uh, the, the, basically, the modem keeps dropping the connection, so she can be connected for a few minutes. She's browsing, and then all of a sudden, she's disconnected, and the message pops up on her screen. You know, the uh, uh, phone line disconnected. So she calls tech support and she tells the tech support person for the modem 
this is what's going on. It keeps disconnecting, but I have fixed it. And I wanted to tell you all how I fixed it, why it keeps dropping. And the tech is incredulous and goes, okay, sure. Tell me how you fix it. And she, she says, okay, when I connect to the internet and it's doing all of its initialization and, and you can hear, you know, the old phone, the old modem sound, the, you know, the, the scree scree screeching and squawking and all that kind of stuff. She Good said, call. when it's connecting to the internet, I have a, a handset phone that's on the same uh, line. I pick up the handset phone and I say into the phone, and then I hang the phone up. And then that again. So she's it's actually, not coming through. It's not coming through your microphone. Your microphone's blocking it out. Okay. Nope. <laughs> is it still not there? No, no. It, your microphone is actually so high tech; it recognizes that as unwanted okay. audio and blocks. Exactly. It. I just want to point that out. That, that's that's very cool. Okay. I have that's no idea cool. how to. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> but so, basically, and, she makes squashy static. Yeah, just, just makes random okay. squeaking, squ you know, trying to emulate a fax machine with her with her voice into the phone line, into the handset while it's connecting to the internet to the. To and the it's she can reproduce it every time. No, of course not, because she's doing it with her voice. Yeah. But, 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 and, she, but she's, and she's human, she's doing of course. An approximation okay. of it. <laughs> the modem connects to the internet. When she does that, she hangs up the handset, and then the modem is reliably connected, and she can stay connected for hours and hours. My question to you, Rafti, is, A, is this true, and B, what is she doing? I have no clue. I have no clue. Maybe you got any ideas? Have you heard, heard this story? This is actually internet lore. I've never heard this story. I'm going to guess that it is true, that it did work. My guess is by having the handset next to the modem, she's ensuring nobody else picks up that receiver during her phone call, severing her connection. That's Interesting. A very good guess. I thought that the, that the head, handheld maybe picks up the, the noise from the modem. Okay. Because that's she a, could hear that's it. That's a good point, too. When, yeah. when I was in the, when I remember vaguely, we had a, an internet modem in the 90s as well. Can't recall how fast it was, but it made sounds that I yeah. can recall. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> okay. So the, the story is a little bit ap apocryphal, but the, the explanation is 100% true. Uh, this can be done. And the reason that her connection with her modem became reliable when she would make sounds into the handset during the connection phase and then hang up was she was introducing noise into the line. The initialization of a modem, uh, when you're hearing all the squeaks and squawks, it starts out at the highest speed that the modem can go and it negotiates a handshake with the other end of the phone line. And it says, okay, can you connect at 56K? The other end says, no, I can't. And then it goes, okay, can you connect at 28K? And the other, the other end says, yes, I can. And so then it will connect to 28K or 1200 or 800 or whatever speed they negotiate. So the modem was trying to connect at 56K. The other end was, was accepting the connection at 56K, but it was unreliable for whatever reason. When she was doing her noises into the handset though, it was introducing noise into the line and they automatically, both sides of it, they kept stepping their it down. speeds down to 28K or 12K or, or whatever it was, which was a more reliable speed. And then she was able to stay connected for hours and hours. That's awesome. That is fucking cool. Thank you, Matt. That is. <laughs> That's really great.
So yeah, all I'd say, yeah, no, she could not reproduce the sounds accurately or even remotely closely, but she was just introduced. She could have been just, you know, reading war and peace into the phone. Or yodeling or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even just picking up the handset because the ambient noise might. Yeah. Very, very well could have. Yep. (laughs) That's gorgeous. Thank you for that one. (laughs) Makes mine look awful. All right. All right, now I thought of a second one, but uh, let's see how quickly I can do these. Um, all right, Rafti, at one point, for DRM purposes, a game manufacturer created an entirely new language. True or false? Ever heard of that? No, I have no clue. You think it's true or think it's false? <laughs> Matt was nodding, so I think Matt it's was true. nodding, Matt. <laughs> Matt, you know which one I'm referring to. All right, well, hang on a second. Are you talking about a programming language or an actual like spoken language? Written, a written, written language. Oh, okay. No, I was thinking of like the scum VM that the old LucasArts did. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so yeah. Take, take away my nodding. I don't know. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, no, this was uh, Ultima. And it's not technically a language. It's more a simple substitution. Uh, it was a code. Uh, he created a series of runes. R U N E um, that you know replaced alphabetics uh, as part of the DRM process because if you didn't buy the book or the rune wheel or the map with the rune alphabet on it that came in the box with the disc to run the game you wouldn't be able to respond to the challenge that would pop up in the game once you crossed a certain border. Um, so it worked, I mean, in a very <laughs> rudimentary way until people figured out how to copy the runes and pass them around and hand them out. But realistically, most of the users that are going to go through, they have to do that. We're going to buy the Ultima game anyway. So um, it was just a neat little thing. Uh, that was a, an innovation by the creator of the Ultima series, Richard Garriott. And we I was just do about a... to say. Lord yeah, Richard Garriott. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's very well known. He's not as well known anymore, but yeah, back in the 80s he and 90s. He should be, because his yeah. post-Ultima stuff is even more intriguing. And I'd really like to maybe do a whole episode just about him uh, in the future. Yeah. Have not heard about Ultima. Oh, yeah. The oh, Ultima was Rocky. a series of RPGs that was hugely popular. Before Final Fantasy, before Zelda, there was, yeah, after Zork, but uh, there was Ultima. And and Garriott's influence on our culture and a particular get your hands off the keyboard. Uh, <laughs> he's doing chat. I'm just no, I just he, I'm interested now. I want to know what Ultima is. I have he not has heard been, about it. He has been attributed as being the progenitor of the use of the term avatar to mean what it does in our current usage, the way uh, an online representation of a human being. Uh, he's also been the one who is attributed with coining the phrase MMORPG for Ultima Online, one of the first of its type. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of other shit that we really would, really should delve into him. And maybe I'll reach out and see if he wants to be interviewed. Who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he'd, be, he'd um, be fascinating. All right, I got one last one that I just thought of when Matt was doing his external modem thing. Uh, <laughs> I know you know that we had floppy disks at one point for our computers. And you would load the floppy disk into an external drive in in many of the early units. There wasn't actually a drive built into the computer. You had to buy an external drive that hooked up with, uh, was it a SCSI card or whatever the hell it was? No, uh, floppy had its own uh, connection type. It it had its own pins, right, okay. Uh, And you connected it into the back of the machine or whatever, in a port of machine. And then you would insert the floppy into the external drive. Now, 
many, many, many programs could not be written to a single disk because the disks were of a very small capacity. And I know we've already talked on this show about making a double-sided disk by punching a hole on one side and flipping it over. Oh, wait, let's do that. <laughs> on the original floppy vinyl disks, you could take a one-hole punch, you could clip part of the disk physically, and that would make it dual density because now you could turn it over and stick it in the other side. Have you ever heard of this, Rafti? No. Do you believe it's true? <laughs> I'm, what? Why is would it work from the other side? I mean, you're saying vinyl? Because the way the, the drive read how you inserted the disc, it was looking for a notch on the side to say, hey, the disc has been inserted correctly. It's like how a USB has a fat side and then the gap so you don't you can't stick it in upside down right that's not true anymore but that's yes. not true anymore the, but the, it, it used to be talking? like that yes. the old usb okay. was like that the old usb right <laughs> but you know what i'm talking about right i absolutely do <laughs> disk drives did the same thing with the five and a quarter floppies so when you punched a hole on the other side you could turn it over and you could write to the other side of the disk inside the vinyl case that is true. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just going to give you that. Matt, <laughs> confirm this for me, please. Yeah, yeah. And and I want to be clear. You're not doing it into the the disc medium, the magnetic medium. You're doing it into the uh, the the, the encasement of it. sheath. Yeah, right. It's, because yeah. the 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 sheath of the five and a quarter is slightly bigger than the plastic uh, mag magnetized medium inside that spins that actually gets yeah. read by the the head of the drive. So you had a little bit of a gap on the front corners where okay. it would not pierce the circular spinning discs. You'd pierce okay. the vinyl on the outside so that it would read it. Yep. Didn't I only remember the 3.5 inch and they had those sliding those things. Those were hard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those were okay. hard. You couldn't the, really well, yeah. I have not seen and touched yeah. another and, floppy except and those. Oh my so. goodness. You don't have a five and a quarter somewhere in your collection. I'll send you <laughs> no. a few just so you can have it. <laughs> no. Okay. And but aren't they how do they not interfere? It's magnetic. So if you write it on one side. Pierce it wouldn't oh yeah I, yeah that i don't understand is how you could write to one side and not have it affect the other that blows my mind i that goes into harry potter realm as far as i'm concerned yeah that trick only worked after uh, uh double-sided discs there, there were double-sided and double density so the uh, there, there were two different types of discs actually four once you permutate all of them but um it wouldn't work on single-sided discs so there, there wasn't any any substrate any magnetic uh particles on the old single-sided ones but once double-sided came out manufacturers would 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 make a double-sided but they would sell it as a single-sided just to save manufacturing costs so so it was already there it that makes no sense that just blows my mind it does. That you they can just wouldn't extra. punch a hole on the other side. Yeah, that that makes no sense to me. <laughs> I mean, because you could charge double. I mean, it just that just insane. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> have it, have it for every price point. You know, that's yeah. like shipping a, a car with the heated seats inside, but you have them not enabled, and you have to pay for the extra. You have to pay for, for the upgrade. Them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. I, I understand it. Uh, somewhat understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cheaper to just go ahead and put in the 50 cent part in the car and then All right, uh, enable so, it later. So let me actually finish this I'm so old thing. Sometimes, like I said, there were 
there were games and applications that wouldn't fit on one disk, even if the disk was flipped over. So what you could do is as you were loading it, the executable process would stop and say, insert disk two, and you'd open up the drive, you pull out the existing disk, you put in the second disk, or you'd flip that disk over and put it back in. And games would ship with up to like six disks, some of them double-sided, so you really had 12 disks, and you had to pull it out through the door, and you did all that. In the interest of speeding this process, some hardware manufacturers allowed two drive ports so you'd have a second external drive, one stacked on top of the other, where you could have more than one disk inserted at a time. Have you heard of this? I think, I yeah, I think some computers came with two as well. Wasn't the Apple II had two disk drives? Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. It would, but so, often, often those were peripherals you had to buy. Yeah. <laughs> But I can see that. I can see oh, that because okay. I know that later machines had that at some point you, you could buy them. Well, oh, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, I mean, keep in mind, Ben, especially, I mean, our early computers did not have hard drives. Hard drives were super expensive. So you had dual drives, one for your operating system and one so you could save whatever programs or data that you were doing. My dad had a compact luggable, the early 80s luggable that looked like a, a briefcase and it weighed 30 pounds. It was it was uh, awful. Built-in screen, built-in cathode ray green screen and dual drives. And you would put in the, the boot drive or the boot disk in, in drive A and the uh, other one in drive B to save your programs. Yep. At me as a kid, I got always told like with those cathode uh, things, I should not touch them too hard. I would not imagine <laughs> lugging them around throwing them in well, yeah i mean the no, screen was literally down into it i mean it was a it was of course was, of course but if you yeah, drop yeah. it too fast i don't know i was scared of those things you know i'm so glad that we have flat screens and <laughs> that i did not have to oh and eventually you would get used to your own screen because at some yeah. point coke would get sprayed on it and at some <laughs> point you know at some point you would have scrubbed something wrong and there'd be a few pixels that didn't show up on the lower left corner or something. <laughs> and that was just part of the uh fingerprint of your own green screen <laughs> super cool but oh what a trip down memory lane yeah but the size of those drives i was just thinking about it the other day i mean yeah there are computers now that exist that are so much smaller than just the size of the disk drive. Yeah, yeah. Exa exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Your phone is a supercomputer, and that that fits in the footprint of a of a floppy disk. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, well, thank you again, gentlemen. Uh, uh, this has been another fun time, Matt. Thank you for bringing uh, the current, the 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 real world current event. <laughs> real world defer. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, anything else, y'all want to announce? Nothing I, I can think of, no. Thank you. Anything new with saving, Rafti? You get your big uh, investors and... No. <laughs> we're currently we're currently looking into um and i think i i might have shared this already and it's a long episode i don't know um if it will make it into the final cut but um we are start we're actually starting a new company now um yes. daniel and i my co-founder and i i don't know and if we're I trying to figure out a name for it publicly. that doesn't suck exactly exactly uh we are but this will uh, Safing will not take on any investors. Um, we talked about this, I think, last year that we got approached firm. by a couple ones. 
Um, and because the reason is Safing is a B2C company and we want to keep it uh, like that. And it's um, all the investors were looking into B2B business because that's what they understand and that's what they are comfortable with. And, and, you, don't, we, and you don't want to contaminate the relationship where you have an absolutely. investor who wants to harvest the data. And, and good for that's you. And well. I, I, exactly. I really admire that. That's standing behind your principles. Thank you. Yeah, um, it was rough. I, I have to tell you, if people offer you a lot of money, um, it can be rough. Um, but <laughs> Note but to we, our audience, it's not rough for me. Offer me $12, I'll sell you the whole fucking podcast. Okay? So um, what we did now is um, we sort of saving us in a, in a stable footing at the moment. And we are like, okay, good. We are looking for people who will continue with saving while uh, Daniel and I are moving on and um, are creating a new company, which is focused on B2B, which uh, like continues providing the value and everything we learned with saving, but adopted differently. And we already know a couple of things just have to be different. When I talk with Matt and Matt is like, I want to know all that stuff that you're like hiding in the B2C context and stuff like that, which is absolutely like you want to know if it is an incident and who's responsible and stuff like that. So we understand and we see that and we're um, at the moment um, sort of like moving safing to be very stable and with a new team and working towards. Um, That's got to be the harder part is finding the right people to take over to replace you than even yeah. finding investors. Investors yeah. are easy to find. Finding someone you can trust to follow yeah. your same philosophy, that's the, that's the holy grail right there. That's the, you know. And we're not gone. So we are, we will still like the. But you have the, to trust them to do it on the day to day the same yes. way you would. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But we're not gone and um, it will be, and that's part of it as well. We put so much love into that, that we're like, okay, this, this, uh, they cannot kill it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's, it, that would hurt. That would But hurt you don't want to be so, a micromanager either. You don't want to, no. you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. I'm glad that Rafi has seen the error of his ways and is now uh, in, in the, in the data harvesting business. Go, That's go commercial, brother. Doing. Come on, join us here in the sellout world. That's not what we're doing. Um, but we will we will incorporate stuff that we will never do with Safing, like um, actually offer the option that you can share Intel with other people in the network and um, have run machine learning and AI against that so that we can detect threats faster and easier and that you're alerted and sort of like with a cohort um, as well. And so it, it has capabilities that Safing just would never offer. Um, well, we can't wait to be your uh, United <laughs> States domestic distributors that, that we're really yeah. looking forward to. That. <laughs> yeah. I only have a small request. Uh, you know, yeah. all of these AIs all have names like, you know, Sydney and Siri and uh, Bing and, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff. Alexa, I only ask that when you name your AI, you just name it Matt. So all you have to do is go, hey, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be such a better conversation than when I have to say, hey, Matt, now. Because <laughs> I have to end up talking to you. <laughs> right. You'd actually get a coherent response from the AI. Uh. Uh, uh, so that's that's some it, news you can give it a hillbilly twang that'll be okay that's <laughs> uh, awesome well good luck on that Rafi. i know i know you. how tough that is 
All right. Well, then, until next week, I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Matt Sotty. And I'm Rafael Fitler. Join us again for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com, and that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel CISSP. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience. <laughs>